Well, if you're visiting, we are so glad you are here. I know many of you are, are here for the, the holiday weekend, and it's good to see you. Um, if you're just catching up, we have been in a series in Romans chapter 8, and we are coming to the conclusion of that series uh, today, the height of Paul's argument. And here he, he comes to uh, these majestic heights, and he says, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What shall we say to that? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What shall we say to that? Even though the body is a corpse because of sin, there's life because of righteousness. What shall we say to that for we know that for those who love god all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose what shall we say to that uh, paul gets to the end here and he basically emotes i'm not really sure how to preach it it's one of those things that you more just shout in uh escalation and and praise but um but I'm going to try to preach it, and I need help. So let me pray for us. God, as we look at this passage and climb the heights to the very peak of Romans 8, we ask that you would assist us in the journey and meet us at the top. It's you we need. You are the end. To which our hearts desire. You were. You were the journey that we are all on. And so Lord. Come and reveal yourself to us through your word. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Well. Um, I love being one of the things that I like about being a pastor. Is I get to talk to all sorts of people. And I get to talk to them about their questions. Um, they come to me to answer their questions. I can't really do that most often, but I can dialogue with them about their questions. And, uh, and, and people usually ask me similar sorts of questions. When I talk to an unbeliever, someone who's not a Christian, the question that they most often ask me is this. Um, if you say God is good and loving and sovereign... Why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? People ask it various ways. They want to talk about religious war. They want to talk about. They want to talk about suffering. But it's the question that comes up. If I'm talking to a Christian, someone who's a professed follower of Christ, the question usually looks a little different. What Christians ask me most often is they say. Kyle, how come when I'm a follower of Christ, is life not turning out the way I had hoped? And why am I so unhappy? Now, they sound like different questions, but they're actually the same question. Because behind both those questions is really the deep question, the existential question. Is God for me? That's what we want to know. Is God for me? 
And I'm not talking about the general question, is God for humanity? Um, is God for other people? See, that's, that's an easy one. I, I can believe that. I look around at, at other people's lives and I see uh, the, their success. I see um, their fame. I see their reputations. I see their happiness. And I can say, yes, clearly God is for people. But it's a harder question to believe. The harder thing to believe is, is God for me personally? Well, Paul, he takes up this question in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. He goes on to say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? You see, because Paul knows that if we could really believe, we could just believe that God is for us, then we could know that nothing, none of our circumstances, could deter his sovereign love and purposes in our life. We would know, if we could just believe that God was for us, then we could know that things are going to be okay. If God is for us, who can be against us? But Paul, he knows that things are against us. It's, it's not, uh, it would be a mistake to read Paul as saying here that things aren't against us. Because he goes on in verse 30, verses 35 to 39 to catalog these various afflictions, the various things that are actually against us and against the church at Rome. He speaks of... Tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness. Paul is not naive. He knows that people experience affliction. Uh, He knows that people experience distress. That anxiety. And the things that make us anxious. That we can't seem to shake. He knows that people experience persecution, that there are actually people against other people. He knows that Christians experience famine. That is that the world, creation itself, is not always on our side. And sometimes it doesn't produce food. He knows that we experience nakedness, that is uh, vulnerability. Poverty without power. Or the ability to do anything about it, any authority. He knows these things. And he knows that these things tempt us to ask the question, or they cause us to ask the question, is God really for me? When so many things in life seem to be against me. And it's not just these circumstances that he's talking about. He also also speaks in these verses about angels and rulers and spiritual powers. You see... Paul is no uh, modern naturalistic materialist. He actually believes that there are angels and supernatural forces that are actually against us. Paul believes. And so with all these things that we face, the question that's pressing is this, is God really for me? And how would I know if he was for me? I don't know what it is for you, but I know you have these things in your life, these circumstances that cause you to ask that question. 
I say I don't know what it is for you. I, I don't know what it is for every single person in this room. I know what it is for a lot of you. I talk to you. There are so many things against so many people in this room. Health trials. Difficult family upbringings. Disastrous relationships. Abuse. Addiction. Mental illness. There are so many things that are against us. So many things to cause us to doubt God's love. And so Paul, he takes up this question and he answers it. How do you know? Well, he says, verse 32, look at it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, first, I want you to see where Paul does not point, where he doesn't turn to answer the question. He doesn't turn to where we naturally and instinctively go to answer the question. He doesn't say, look at your circumstances. Though we all look at our circumstances. And it usually looks like this. Look, uh, I'm being blessed. I have a windfall. I just got this job. I just got this. uh, I just had this relationship. Things are going my way. God is for me. Or more often. The relationship doesn't work out. I didn't get the job. The health results are bad. And we say, is God for me? He must be against me. But Paul doesn't go to your circumstances because he he knows that you can't tell by your circumstances. Because the reality is, is if you look at the Bible, then you will see that some of the people who who God was clearly for and loved had the most difficult circumstances. I mean, think. Think of. Naomi. Think. Of Jeremiah. Think of John the Baptist. Think of the Apostle Paul. Think even of Jesus himself. God was for them. Their circumstances would not have told them that. And another thing that we need to be careful of is this. Uh, You know, the Bible tells us that one of the worst things that can happen is for us to get everything, for you to get everything you ever desired. When what you desire most is not God. That's one of the most tragic things that can happen. So Paul, he knows this. He knows that we can't look at our circumstances. He doesn't point us there. He points us somewhere else. He points us to the cross. He who did not spare his own son, but gave, us up for, or, but gave him up for us all. It says, if you want to know that God is for you, if you want to be certain, if you want to be confident, that's where you look. Don't look to your circumstances. Don't do what Salieri did in the movie Amadeus. Do you remember the scene? Uh, Salieri is a great composer, and he is talking with a priest about his life, and mainly his life in relationship with the even greater composer, Mozart. 
And he recounts this scene where Mozart is playing the piano and he's playing all these great composers' hits, but he's doing it as if they're nothing. And he even does it uh, on his back and behind himself. And at one point, it's a masquerade. People cannot see the faces of, of who's saying, and, and Salieri, Salieri requests himself. He says, play Salieri. And, and Mozart does it in this kind of mocking way, and everyone laughs. And as Salieri recounts this, he looks at the priest and he says, it wasn't they who were mocking me that day. It was God. God was laughing at me. Do you see what he was doing? He was saying, he was looking at his circumstances. He was comparing himself with others. And then when he compared himself to Mozart, he said, God must be against me. And we do the same thing. Paul says, you can't look there. Where you have to look is you look to the cross. You look to this gift, this gift of God, God's self-giving of his own son on the cross. And when you look there, you can be absolutely certain that God is for you. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at this gift. We're going to look at the gift of the cross. And by the end, we're going to see if we can be a little bit more sure that God is for us. Uh, Why does he tell us to look to the cross? First, because what I would call the Christ gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, is God's greatest gift. Look, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, Paul is making two points here, I think. The first is that the Christ gift is the greatest gift because it is an invaluable gift. He who did not spare his own son. God was unsparing with his son. And what did he not spare his son of? His son came into this world and he was not spared. He was not spared. He was not spared the trauma of birth. He was not spared sickness. He was not spared being separated from his parents. He was not spared long, hard journeys. He was not spared manual labor. He was not spared being mocked. He killed others. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? If you're a real king, come down from the cross. He was not spared torture. He was beat with a whip. He was not spared concern for his family. One of those intimate moments in the Gospels is where Jesus looks down and he wants to make sure that his mother, his dear mother, is taken care of. He was not spared. He was not spared shame. I don't care what the pictures tell you. There were no loincloths on the cross. He was there exposed in his naked shame. He was not spared shame, and he was not spared God-forsakenness. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He was not spared. He was not spared. And it wasn't just the son who lost his father, but it was also the father who lost his son. See, this is how God defines himself. He who did not spare his own son. When people are in grief, the book that I give them most often 
is not a book that tells you, deals with a problem of evil or anything like that. It's a, it's a book by a Christian philosopher named Nicholas Wolterstorff. And there he's not trying to deal with pain and suffering and the problem with evil. There he's actually grieving his own loss of his 25-year-old son, Eric. And in the midst of this journal, really, it's a publication of his journaling about his struggle with this loss. He says this, if anyone wants to know who Nick Wolterstorff is, they need to know that I am a man who has lost his son. Well, if anyone wants to know who God is, God is one who has lost his son. He who did not spare his own son. See, lots of people will say that God is love. Lots of people believe that God is love. But here's the question. The God that you're talking about and the love that you're talking about, did it cost your God anything? Because the love that Paul writes about and the God who loves, who Paul writes about, is a God who gave up his most valuable possession. He gave his only son. See, when, and he did it, notice, for you and for me, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You know, when when the Bible addresses the problem of evil, when God addresses the problem of evil, he doesn't answer with an argument. He answers with a spectacle. He does not plead. He points. He points to a hill outside Jerusalem, a hill that the Jews called Golgotha and the Romans called Calvary. And there he says, I know that you know suffering, but I want you to know something about me. I know suffering and death too. I've taken it on myself. And I know that your suffering has been painful for you, but I want you to know this. I want you to know this, that one of the things your suffering can't mean is it can't mean that I don't love you. And one of the things that your suffering can't mean or that, and one of the things that my suffering does mean, excuse me, is that I love you more than you will ever imagine. You look to the cross. Do you see how far God was willing to go for you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And here's the turn. Listen to this. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, Paul says that the Christ gift is the greatest gift because it's an invaluable gift. But also, it is the greatest gift because it's the foundation of all other gifts. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear Paul's logic? If he gave you Christ, if he gave you the most valuable thing, the most important thing, how is he going to reserve something else from you? And, and and the Christ gift, it is the foundation of all gifts that that he gives all other gifts with him. How is he not with him? Will he not with him graciously give us all things? I, I remember going to uh, 
a Mexican restaurant. We were sitting in a Mexican restaurant in, in Memphis, Tennessee. It was called Poncho's. Um, you would not call it a Mexican restaurant. I don't know what you would call it, but we called it a Mexican restaurant because in Memphis, that's the closest thing we had. Uh, and I was sitting there on my, um, my eighth bowl of cheese dip. Uh, you know, um, that just proves to you that it was our type of Mexican restaurant. And, you know, the, the cheese, the cheese dip that the only way to get it to um, uh, actually come off of the chip was to let the stomach acid do its work. That kind of cheese dip, right? It was thicker than a Dairy Queen blizzard. And after I was on my eighth uh, bowl, all of a sudden, uh, you know, this flaming thing comes out and it's sizzling and there's smoke and, uh, and it's these fajitas. My mom had ordered fajitas. And then they kept bringing stuff out like the sour cream and the guacamole and the cheese and the olives and the pineapple. I told you, it's not Memphis Mexican. And, they, and we're like, and my mom sits there and she's like, I'm, I'm, I'm wowed, you know, I'm sitting there with my sombrero on, we're all our sombreros and I'm wowed. Wow, this is amazing. And I was like, I shouldn't have eaten so much cheese dip. Uh, but uh, it was my mom goes, you know, did I order all this stuff? I didn't order all this stuff. Uh, when did I order this? He goes, well, you ordered the fajitas and it comes with it. It all comes with it. You see, you get the you get the center thing, the main thing. But all these other things are just accompaniments. God gave his son. God gave his son. That is the central gift. And all the other gifts of life are just accompaniments. They come along with it. They're part of the package. And if he did not. Spare his son. How will he not also with him graciously give you all things? You see, it's easy to think, and I think we often think, that God is somehow holding out on us. He's holding out on us by not giving us the clean bill of health. He's holding out on us by not giving us a spouse or children. He's holding out on us. God is not holding out on you. God gave his son. He who did not spare his only son, but graciously, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is not holding out on you. In fact, God has already given you everything he can give you because he gave you Jesus. And Jesus is everything. And if we think that he could give us Jesus and hold out on us, it's because we don't realize that Jesus is everything. But Jesus is everything. And he has given his son the greatest gift. He will not withhold anything from you that would contribute to your ultimate good. He will not. God is for you. The Christ gift is the greatest gift. God is for you because we know that because the Christ gift is the end of judgment. Look at verses 33 and 34. Paul says... Who then shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? The scene is the courtroom and the theme is judgment. And here we have a, someone bringing, a prosecutor, who is bringing a, not only an impeachment, but is seeking to condemn us. Someone who is bringing a charge against God's elect, to seek to condemn them. You know, life is like a courtroom. Life is like a courtroom. We walk around and we all the time feel like we are under the weight of judgment. 
We are always trying to live up and keep up with others' standards and our own standards. And there are standards all around. Some of those standards are religious standards, yes. But you know what? We think that we get rid of that, you know, all all those judgmental religious people. But we don't. We just change the standards. And at least in a religion, the standards are set topics, right? The problem with contemporary culture is they're, they're moving topics. How do you eat and how do you... What, you know, what kind of job do you have and, and how do you go about pursuing it and, uh, and how tech savvy are you or not tech savvy are you or there are so many things that we have. How do you dress when you drop your kids off for school? What's your personality like? So many standards that we feel like we have to live up to. Life is like a courtroom. I was talking with someone uh, recently, and they were mentioning a break in a time in which they were um, in a relationship. And I asked them, you know, well, what was the cause of it? And they said, well, uh, amongst a n- numerous things, one of the things this person said was, well, I, to be honest, I felt insecure and judged by um, by my uh, the person I was in a relationship with by their family. Because I didn't feel like I met their standards of ethnicity. I didn't meet their standards of the job that I was pursuing. And, uh, and, and, and it crushed me. We all know that. We all feel that. We all feel like we're not living up to other people's expectations and feel judged by other people. And, and we make conscious decisions about whether or not someone is for us or against us based on whether or not we think that they are judging us or evaluating us or whether or not they would come to our support, our aid, to vindicate us. That's how we make decisions. Well, Paul wants us to know that someone... There are many people that bring a charge against us, but God does not. It is God who justifies, verse 33. That there are many people who seek our condemnation, but Christ does not. Verse 34. Christ is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, you see, God has come as our vindicator and not as our prosecutor. That in Jesus' death, we were vindicated. In his resurrection, we were raised. And we have been deemed acceptable and accepted through him. We have passed through the judgment and the trial is over. And we made it through. We made it through because of Jesus. My wife, uh, Pam, is a lover of dance, and uh, being a lover of dance, uh, she used to watch So You Think You Can Dance, that summer series where people dance and there's this competition and contest, you know. And being a lover of Pam, I used to watch So You Think You Can Dance, and then I became a lover of dance, in all honesty, and really enjoyed it. But there's a, the show, the premise of the show is, you know, people go and, and they try out for the show various contestants um, who have skills ranging anywhere from, uh, like, just don't know how to dance to, well, me, right? Um, 
maybe a little better than me. Uh, there's like, there's like, don't not a dance, me and Justin Timberlake, and <laughs> then some other people who win. Uh, but I'm from Memphis. I can't help it. Um, so the show, though, these people, they try out, and then they get sent to Vegas for this kind of uh, week of uh, callbacks is what they call it. And it's, it's, it's brutal, and people are continually being cut. And then they finally have their final 40, and they're all brought into a room. And they're sitting there in this room, and it's like, it's like people waiting at, at, for someone to hear back from someone's surgery. They're like all kind of down, and they're anxious, and they're waiting, and they would get called back one at a time. And, and if they didn't make it, they would come back, and they were even more down, kind of like all, all sad. But if they came through, and they found out that they were one of the 20 contestants on the show, I mean, they are elated. The difference between when they were in the waiting room, and then they come out the other side, uh, is tremendous. They are jumping for joy. They are bright. I mean, just like that, they have changed, because they passed through the judgment, as it were. And they realized that they were vindicated. They were supported. They were told, yes, we are for you, and we are for your flourishing on this show. And we have passed through the judgment, Christians. We have gone through the other side, and God has said, I am for you, and I am for your flourishing. See, Jesus, he casts his vote for us, and it is the decisive vote, because it's the only vote that matters. The Christ gift is the end of judgment. God is for you. The Christ gift is also, the Christ gift is the greatest gift. The Christ gift is the end of judgment. But thirdly, the Christ gift is a gift of indissoluble, sovereign love. Look at verse 35. Paul asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gives a catalog of all these things that we think may, in fact, be able to separate us from the love of Christ or say that we have been separated from the love of Christ. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Now, whether or not these are things where Paul gets this catalog from, whether this is just an ancient list of affliction that people knew in the ancient world, or perhaps these were experiences that Paul had himself. Or maybe even the experiences of Christ or the Roman church. The reality is, is that they knew this kind of affliction. And we know affliction like this as well. It's different, but we know. We know those things, those circumstances in life that cause us to ask, have we been severed from God's love? Have I been severed from God's love? Does he still love me? I don't know what circumstance it is for you. But we all ask the question. And Paul wants us to know that those, that catalog does not mean that we are separated from his love. I want you to look at how he goes on. Look, verse 36, he says, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. Paul is quoting from a psalm where the psalmist is crying out to God, why, God, are the righteous persecuted? Why are they mocked? Why are they ridiculed? Why, God, are you for us? Do you love us? And Paul, he says that, that this is actually the Christian community, that the church is a community 
under assault. Why? For your sake. What does that mean? For your sake. Well, it means this. Paul is saying that the affliction, the suffering, the trials, they don't mean that we aren't loved by God. Actually, the love of Christ is the reason for the affliction and the suffering and the trials. That that's the basis for them. Well, why is that? That's confusing. I don't understand. Well, you have to understand Paul's conception of the world. See, Paul believes that there are two ages, two spheres of existence. There is the old age of sin and death in the flesh, and there is the new age, the new creation of life and spirit. And Christians, they have been brought over from the old age to the new age. This is Paul's conception of reality. It may not be yours. It's mine and it's Paul's. So, hear us out. There are two worlds, two ages, two spheres of existence. And these spheres of existence, well, they do not fit together. Like oil and water, like chalk and cheese, as the British would say, they cannot go together. So what happens when the old world and the new world coexist is you get violent reflexes of an age that is passing away. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about the seismic earthquake reflexes of an age that is passing away. And Christians, because they belong to the new world, but they are in the overlap with the old world, we are like a fish out of water. You ever seen a fish out of water? Like literally, I want you to picture it right now, a fish that is out of water, flopping around. It is, it is, it is in an environment that is not hospitable to it. That is the distress and the persecution and the tribulation that we experience and the famine. See, the Christian is one who is like a fish out of water. And these things, they, the environment is not for us. But the very fact that the environment is not supportive of us actually is an indication that by the love of Christ, we have been brought into the new world, you see. These things are for his sake. It's because we are loved by Christ. The love of Christ is something that separates us out from the old world into the new. And so we have this experience. Well, if these things that we experience, if they don't indicate that we have been severed from Christ's love, might they cause us to abandon Christ's love? Because that's another question that we ask. Uh Oh. Will the sufferings and the afflictions that I experience in this life, will the things that are against me, will they cause me to turn to other lovers? Cause me to love things more than God? Will they cause me to be captivated and captured by the gods of this age? I was thinking about someone in a relationship this week, and I was thinking about them, and I thought, you know, relationships are funny, because I I was going to say, well, you, you know, you chose to love this person. But the reality is, is that it doesn't really work like that often, right? Our, as far as our desires go, we often get captivated and captured by loves. And then we love. And so we wonder, will, will our affections be drawn away from God to other lesser gods? 
with the things that we face in life? What causes you to worry that you might abandon God? Is it your children's life choices? Is it the pain and suffering that you experience? Is it the church? Is it the church? Is it singleness? What causes you, what, what, what makes you worry that you will end up living by sight and not by faith? And our question is, will these things ultimately separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ? And Paul says, no. No, because the love of God is a sovereign thing. The love of God is a sovereign thing. And when I say that to a crowd like this, in a tradition like ours, we think of sovereignty of God's love in terms of election. It's much broader than that. It's God's rule and reign that comes over us and captures the world. It's his dominion, his kingdom of love. Look, I want you to look in verses 38 and 39. Paul says that he's convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because the love of God is a sovereign thing. Paul is saying that all dimensions of life and reality, biological life, life and death, Temporal life, things present and things to come. Metaphysical life, angels, rulers, powers. And astrophysical life, height and depth. Paul is probably referring to the lowest star and the highest star. Because ancients, they actually thought in terms of of the stars. He says that, and moderns. That all these, all these are effectively superintended by the dominion of Christ's saving love. That none of them can separate you from his love. Because the love of God is a sovereign thing. And so, what the church in Rome was taught to realize and what they had to realize is that the the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that Rome promised that you will have peace that your life will be okay because Rome rules, that that was a weak promise. There there are many things that assault them. And what I think we need to realize is that the Pax Americana, the peace of America, while it can do lots of things for us, the reality is, is it cannot ultimately protect us. It cannot ultimately give us peace. But the love of God can. The love of God in Jesus Christ is a sovereign thing. You see, Jesus, he is Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord, not because these are two separate things, but because he becomes your, he saves you by becoming your Lord. And he is the Lord because he saves the world. He takes possession of us by a powerful work of love. As the New Testament scholar Ernst Caseman said, by the Spirit, God maintains his rightful claim as Lord over his own, and he also graciously brings them home and preserves them. Or as Martin Luther taught us to sing, though this world, though devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. No matter what we face, God's love is sovereign still, and it is bigger Still, there are many things that are against you. There are many things that are against me. 
I look at this congregation, there are so many things. Mental illness, addiction, histories of abuse, broken families. And that's not even to mention things that are geopolitical. And that's not even to mention things that are immaterial. The principalities and the powers. The devil and his minions. There are many things that are against you and there are many things that are against me. But Paul wants us to know that he is convinced that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ because the love of God is a sovereign thing. And the love of God is a victorious thing. Verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so I want you to know this morning, and I'm going to say this with every fiber of my being, that no matter what you face and no matter what is against you, you will not be separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. His love is stronger still. His love is stronger still. And the one you hold on to holds on to you. And more important than your holding on to him is his holding on to you. That when Jesus went through death and was raised and raised to the right hand of the Father, he once again reclaimed his creation and wrestled it back from the devil and sin and the world and everything else that is against us. And he holds you in his hand. So, let these words wash over you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed, indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Why? Through him who loved us. For I am sure... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is for you. God is for you. Amen.